Hi, and welcome to Season 2 of Big Sound Small Town, the podcast that spotlights the talented and diverse musicians in small towns and communities. This season, we're branching out to include the community of people who make it possible for musicians to be able to perform their music. The producers, the recording engineers, the venue owners, and many others. And as always, the small town musicians. Remember, small town doesn't mean small talent. Hear their stories. Big Sound Small Town. I'm in the pink room of the Big Bass Studio, and this is different than anything I've done before. Uh, during this uh, COVID D coronavirus of uh, 2020, I put an ad on Facebook asking if anyone would like to do a um, podcast interview, and I get a response from. Uh, the Jacktown Ramblers and doing bands as a whole is kind of difficult. So um, they pointed me to their spokesman, Michael Ramsey. So today I have Michael Ramsey of the Jacktown Ramblers. Welcome to the show, Michael. I thank you, sir. Appreciate you, Sandy, for allowing us to be a part of this 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 production of your your big town small town show well it's one of the things about it is i get to learn about musicians i didn't know a lot of them i have known but ones that i didn't know too which is fabulous for me oh yeah exactly and and it turns um there's good many i have a good many listeners so uh it's good for people to know your story know about your band get your band some publicity yeah, ex- expanding musical, musically interested folks, yeah. expanding some of their their hearing options, I guess, or I, listening options yeah. might be a better way of saying it. And I think it is. I think that is, um, you know, the, also the premise of it is, um, you know, there's as many uh, good musicians still here. They don't have to be from a big town. They don't have to go to the city. There's a lot of good musicians in North Carolina and the world. Oh yeah, exactly. All right. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit. Inform me about the Jacktown Ramblers. Well, actually, the Jacktown Ramblers is a is a fairly new setup, and uh, I was talking with Gabriel, you know, and trying to get a little information because I'm new to the situation as well myself. I've I've, I've not actually been here an entire year yet as a full-time bass player. That really just sort of 
kicked in toward the latter part of 2019, uh, Gabriel called me and asked me if I'd be interested in going and playing a show with him in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh, this was probably about maybe January or February last year. And I said, sure. He knew I was retired uh, and had time on my hands. And uh, so I said, yeah, I'll sign up. And we went up there and done that, uh, got together and practiced some of the material a few times. But uh, according to Gabriel, he and Shannon Leisure, uh, Gabriel Wiseman being the mandolin player and sort of a guy that sort of started all this craziness, he and Shannon Leisure uh, got together, uh, been knowing each other for years, but I think about in 2018 and maybe started doing a few duets here and there and uh, getting into a few places to play. And uh, and he said in doing that, they uh, they played around Black Mountain, Asheville, Shelby, and Lincolnton, you know, for uh, duets. And then they started talking about adding a bass player. Uh, they had a, a friend of mine went and played with them, Joe Hasty. Joe lives here in Morganton as well, and he also teaches at this place where I do. We'll talk about that a little later. Uh, Joe went and played with them for a little while, and uh, Joe is more from a jazz background, but an upright bass player in in that realm. Right. And uh, so he, he played with them for a, a bit, and he's busy. He, he has his own little jazz group that he plays with and fills in with other things, you know, so he stays busy with music and uh, and, and Gabriel and them asked me to, to get involved. Uh, even prior to me getting into the band, they ended up uh, asking Brett Setzer to come on board playing banjo with them. And uh, so there was sort of a, a, a trio there, basically, you know, that was sort of stable. And then uh, things started working out for me to go play this thing with them in, in June last year in, in West Virginia. And uh, we really enjoyed ourselves on that trip. Uh, there's no egos in this band. That's one thing that we all enjoy. It's, it's just a bunch of good guys that enjoy each other's company. And they're all easy to get along with. Some, sometimes that's hard to find in a band. Situation. That's really hard to find in a band. You said that right. It, it truly is. And I'm not speaking ill of anybody that I've played with in times past, but different people have different levels of commitment that they're willing to make with regard to time and stuff. They do. Yes, they do. And uh, uh, it, can, it can sort of create small problems, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so Gable's wife, who's a photographer, uh, she uh, she sort of I think she helped him come up with the name. They live off of a road up near Marion called Jacktown Road, and so they just crammed the Ramblers on the end of it. And uh, even my son, who uh, who's a professional musician, he really likes he likes the name. He I said, like the name too. It's a cool name. He said it's good. It, and. I've thought about that in other bands that I've been in in the past. Uh, so many times in years past, that they a band always connected mountain to it if it was True. the bluegrass rim. Sometimes they had the word bluegrass connected into the band name. So it sort of pigeonholes a band by that to a certain extent. It, it, if it's the Come Hither Mountain Boys or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. people sort of get that get that connotation that it's it's going to be old hokey country stuff it's sort of sometimes people can attach a negative uh, thinking to those names uh, I've thought about that in bands that I've been a part of in, in past years too um, 
although it is primarily bluegrass oriented type stuff but we'll do some old country stuff and a little bit of swingy jazzy things and uh, so, te- that, so, so technically you guys could be a string band as much as you are a a bluegrass band exactly yeah uh, and string band i like that term too because and, and sometimes people have the attachment when you have that word string band, they want to they want to go back and label that as sort of like old time music, True. which predated the bluegrass stuff sometimes. But That's I'm, I'm in agreement either. with what you're talking about. You know, just like like the Hot Club. Yeah. You know sure. that Django and them was in. You know, sure. it didn't. Of course, it was a French group, but, but still. they didn't have a certain thing that it attached to. It didn't mention the word jazz in it, which is what what it was. True, that's but, true. But uh, at the same time, you know, it, it just kind of left it open-ended. And, and I, I really like that name that the guys have, have got together. So starting up in 18, they started out at Duo, and they'd go do Duo gigs, and, you know, and sometimes it'd be a trio, you know. And, and so Gabriel and them, toward the latter part of the last year, they just decided we would solidify and let me be the full-time bass player in there and sort of be a and and i'm sure there might be times in the future when it might just be two or three of us going right. and playing a gig here there just on account of somebody not being able to be available or sure well know. that's the really good flexibility about about a deal like that i'm kind of in a situation like that uh in the band i'm in sometimes you'll get individual members alone or sometimes you'll get duo or trio or all four of us so we i do understand right which is a good thing it is a good thing and i when they when they do that do do they go out as say if they go out as a duo they don't go out as the jack town rammers per se do they i think they do yeah i think they have done that from the from the beginning that's excellent uh, then that's that's really i like that also i will tell you the name, yep. the Jacktown Rammers, is what drew me to, you know, I've had, I had, there's a list of people that sent me stuff, but, you know, your name is what drew me to you guys first, so it is a good name. Well, I appreciate that. I know Gabriel and them, I, again, that's, that's just another draw to it. There's so many, so many facets, uh, thinking from, from a, a, a business side of things with regard to music that, Sometimes I, I don't think people necessarily overlook it. They love music. They love getting together and play it and being able to go out and have an audience for it and being able to perform it. But, you know, uh, if you can make good decisions about names, making yourself unique, uh, it's just like Adam Steffi and the box cars when yeah. they started the box cars. Sure. I remember Adam saying that that was just one of the one of the uh, which was Adam's band basically him and Ron Stewart right. were partners in that and uh, and but it it was a unique name it didn't attach bluegrass to it you know right. and, and primarily which is what it was but uh, a unique name is a is a treasured thing with regard to having a, a clear identity to who you are and, and and setting yourself apart you know so I, I think they picked a good name. And they like to they like to do different types of music too. Well, yeah, and that's like where I was that. going. It doesn't pigeonhole you into one style of music, so you right. can play just about anything you want with a name like that. Exactly. That when we go play, uh, you might hear a Johnny Cash tune. Uh, you might hear a uh, Merle Travis tune. Uh, Shannon, the guitar player, does a great version of. Uh, I, I think Merle Travis was the writer on this. 
shackles and chains. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he starts it out just real cold with just singing and, and a vamp, a, a light vamp on the guitar, and right. we get part way through, and and then we come in with the music in behind him, but it but it ends up being sort of not quite swingy, right. but almost in that vein. Brett takes a very very small back-ended part with the banjo and just kind of lays back and lets the mandolin and the guitar and the bass sort of carry everything and and uh, and and then they we like to do some of the grisman tunes you know yeah. some of the, the stuff that we've been doing we, we do uh tipsy gypsy yeah. and upville and uh a few other tunes that that grisman has done that, that, that were completely new to me i had to sit and chart them out myself sure. you know to know mm-hmm. how to play them and uh, of course, they, and we try to do EMD every once in a while, which right. has been done by a lot of folks a lot of times. Yeah. But uh, we, uh, it's I, I like the variety. I had uh, I had come out. I had been dormant, basically not playing any music for about ten years uh, since about '08 until about '18, and I got together playing with some other folks from here in town and needing to fill in, and became a member of their band for a little while. It was just a little trio. We played some wineries and things, and, and they stretched me a little bit. And I like that stretching myself, because oh, yeah. uh, it keeps it interesting. It does. You, know, you got to stay on your toes. But uh, we like to do a, a variety of stuff, you know. It's and, and, and I think the people, they like that, you know. Uh, we've that. actually ha- had some folks, well, tell, tell me what this swing, what, what this gypsy swing stuff you right, do. Yeah. we were playing at a winery out toward uh, Hendersonville mm-hmm. uh, last year and uh, there was some folks sitting there listening and, and, and they saw it uh, in the description of the band and and so we just said okay now here's one and we're going to tell you that, you know and so we were educators for a moment there well, that, <laughs> to I mean, a certain that's, extent that's part of music I, I think oh yeah exactly but we're the, the band one thing that I really like about the band is uh, we try to connect with every audience that we get to play for and that's through humor a lot of times it's uh, it, it, it costs some of us a little bit of our pride you know because Gabriel's telling funny things on each one of us we just accept it and go on with it because we know it's all in just jazz right. but, but at the same time it makes people laugh and, and so that downtime sometimes that people have in, in bands in between songs if you don't have a, a, a pretty good MC uh, that can connect with the audience you can lose them between oh, songs oh you can I mean uh... and uh, Gabriel's daddy David Wiseman I don't know if you've ever got to encounter him or not he's yeah. one of the premier mandolin players tenor singers and, and MCs in this part of the country yeah I did I've not played. realize that was his he was keen I've there. played music with David in the past and absolutely love that. So Gabriel's sort of carrying on a tradition. That's good. Uh, of, of his daddy's, you know, with that regard. Every once in a while, and this this might perk some people's interest in trying to get to see us when we get to where we can get back out and play again. Really? Gabriel might pull out a magic trick on you right on stage <laughs> or something. Oh, that's pretty cool. You. So it's, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a roller coaster ride sometimes when you come to see us. You can't never tell. And we we keep it mixed up. We don't try to keep the same old stale jokes from place to place because then when you, once you see a band right. two or three times, you're hearing the same old jokes. Keep everything kind of fresh and moving along. And 
so so it's a total entertainment package as opposed to just um hot picking yeah we're exactly exactly uh people love to be entertained people laugh you can get them on your side true you know and uh that's a that's a thing that i learned being around gable's daddy david i played with him for several years and he teaches up there where i teach music as well so i i get to see him quite regularly i I view him as a brother more so than just a fellow musician we've been we've been buddies for a long long time he's a great guy all right we're going to go to a break right here and we'll be right back all right Okay, I'm here with Michael Ramsey of the Jacktown Ramblers, and I'm going to get him to tell you a little bit about the band members. What you got there, Michael? Well, I'm going to start with being as I'm the oldest and, and probably the crustiest one. We'll we'll do me last. But I'll tell you <laughs> about these other boys first. Uh, the first guy I'm going to tell you about is Shannon Leisure. Uh, Shannon is just a few years younger than me. He's in his early fifties, and uh, Shannon is a great guy. was as a banjo player too right sir he was a banjo player at that point right yeah he was playing banjo at that time yeah and he's played with a lot of different folks over the years i don't over the years i don't know if he was actually living in Asheville at the time or if he just happened to go up there lots of us would travel and go to the shindig sure yeah i've been to the yeah
flexibility to he has he has the flexibility to be able to play music too pretty close to right. Steve. 
always having jams and, and parties, picking parties and things at these houses. He's growing up. So he said he was a stealing licks and trying to get anybody to show him anything <laughs> that they could show him, you know. Yeah. And he, he's, a, he's a good banjo player, and he's a rare breed among banjo players. You know, sometimes so many banjo players, they think that it's either on or off, right. you know, and and it's, it's hammered down. Play it as hard and as loud as you can from start to finish. Brett, Brett has the unique ability to be able to have a little bit of a dynamic range, you know. That's great. I've heard people say that uh, sometimes the difference between a chainsaw and a banjo was that a chainsaw did have a dynamic range. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's pretty uh, funny, yeah. That's funny. But Brett, Brett has, has got great dynamic range. He, he's, he is a, he's a cool cat to be around funny country as cornbread and he'll tell you that right up front he'll sing lead he'll sing some tenor and uh, and and he loves to see the crowd get into the show he he's, he's sometimes he, he he comes off as a cheerleader we might have to get him a set of pom-poms yeah, and saddle Oxford stuff to, to fill that thing out there but in getting trying to get the crowd involved in times and, and that's not to say that uh, you know that crowds are hard Crowds are hard. Where we go, but Brett's a big part of that good time. He's just a good cat. He, he's a super, super guy, and he's the best tractor mechanic that we've got in the in the band. That's and great. That's basically, what that's what he does for his living is a mechanic on tractors and trade around on them. And he is a good tractor mechanic. But he, uh, we 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 tell that on him uh, as as we're introducing him that he's the best, he's going to get the tractor mechanic of the month. Well, I'm he's telling you this, would... this month tractor prices the way they are everyone needs to know a good tractor mechanic oh yeah and, and the other piece about that is you can buy older stuff that's better than the newer stuff well, this is and true you can get it repaired by a good guy you'll have a better tractor than what you could spend a whole bunch of money for well, now this is true so that's the, a, that's well, a good the thing next, the next cat coming in the, in the line is the gabriel and uh gabriel is a true product of the Wiseman family. Now, uh, you've heard of Lula Bell and Scotty Wiseman. I sure have. Possibly. Oh, yeah. Well, him and, him and his daddy, they're, they're kin to that Wiseman group from up there around the Spruce Pine area. Right. Lula Bell and Scotty lived. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had an Uncle Jimmy who was a great fiddler. Uh, we played a little old thing here right before all of this social distancing stuff is right. beginning, actually. We played a little thing up there at uh, David's old home church uh, where Gabriel's daddy grew up, and that's where Little Bill and Scotty's buried. And uh, and David had an uncle that was a great banjo player, Kent Wiseman, who him yeah. and his whole family basically were killed in a tragic accident, car accident, right. back in the mid '60s. Mm -hmm. And I uh, that. Uh, but we visited all of those graves and visited with cousins and stuff up there. And uh, but that. Uh, that that Gabriel Wiseman is he's a special cat. Uh, Billy Constable. Billy Constable is a cousin to David. He's yeah. David's first cousin, and because uh, Billy's mama and David's daddy were brothers and sister, and uh, Gabriel has this very proud thing that uh, when he was born, when Gabriel was born, David was off playing a gig somewhere. <laughs> His daddy was off playing. Right. And Charlie Moore, uh, you probably, if you know the Blue Grass community, you know Charlie Moore. 
I do. Charlie Moore was married to David's aunt, to Billy Constable's mother. Okay. After his father had passed away, Charlie Moore was married to Lois for a while. And when Gabriel was born, Charlie wasn't playing a gig that night and evidently was around in the area and, and uh, went by and had bought a pair of small cowboy boots and took them and put them in David's car while he was playing the gig and left him a note that said, there's a new little guy named Gabriel Wiseman that wants you to bring these boots and come see him. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's a good story there. I really yeah, like that. But Gabriel, Gabriel started playing. He, he was like me. He didn't start playing until he was probably 19 or 20 ah. uh, playing music. You know, So he's, he's right in there about the same boat as as Brett, they're about the same age. They, they, they've been playing for 22, 23, 45 right. years, something like that, and started playing mandolin, and, and he is around it all his life with his daddy. Yeah, I'm but sure. He said he, he was working at that time, working a second shift job at Broughton, and uh, and so when he'd, he'd get up early in the mornings after getting home at 11 or 11.30 or so at night and getting home, getting up early the next morning, and he'd, He'd get the mandolin down and work with videotapes and, and, and whatever, trying to trying to learn and, and school himself on playing the mandolin. And, and, and he'd say he'd play till 2 or 3 o'clock till it was about time to get ready to leave to go to work, you know, and started playing with bands. And he said he, he didn't nothing but, but play and work for about two years, didn't date nobody, wasn't, wasn't running women or nothing. Now you have to do that. <laughs> I mean, you have to do your woodshed time at some point in your life. Yes, he is. funny too a lot of my listeners I'm, I'm located in we're located in cleveland county which is a uh banjo uh bluegrass mecca for the most part yes sir and yes, uh, sir. so a lot of my listeners will really like this insight into that part because a lot of there's a, a lot of knowledgeable bluegrass people here in cleveland county oh yes sir so you that's a take, good story well they Sure. Jimmy Martin 
little bit farther outside of the circle uh, because he lived over toward Rosine, which is on the way from Bowling Green up toward Owensboro, Kentucky. Rosine's located sort of out on the western part of the state. But at the same time, there is a, such a big concentration of musicians that's come out of this area, you know, and oh, that yeah. Wiseman line that, that, that Gabriel comes out of is, right. is, uh, is part of that lineage that, that goes way on back and even predates bluegrass. True, know, it does. Yes, it the, does. The musical things that the Wiseman family's done as well. Oh, I agree. So, and Scruggs and, oh, yeah. and Reno and everybody else too. Oh yeah, Platt and Scruggs, that's a biggie here. So, uh, Yes sir. Alright, well we're getting ready to talk with you about you, so I'm going to take a break here. turn tell me about you yourself that's i don't know how much time have you got <laughs> because there's so many ignorant crazy facets of mike ramsey to know about we'll, we'll try to stick to music i want to tell you how i first remember uh seeing bluegrass live was i was about 12 years old uh and my my daddy and mama took me up to the old mass general store in valley cruises yeah in valley cruises I remember when that was. He had a guitar, 
and he loaned it out to somebody when he was in high school, and to this day, don't remember who he loaned it out to or what happened to him. Oh, Lord. So that tells you how much musician stuff he did. Now, he was into singing, would sing in choir at church. The Ramsey family come from a bunch of singers, then in that same neck of the woods where the shufflers came from, wow. down in Enon Road down in there where George lived, and his mom and daddy lived, and, and uh, my, his, his daddy and my great-granddaddy were rabbit hunting buddies back in the early parts of the 1900s back in there uh, and so we've had that connection for a long time but I got started messing with the banjo when I was about 20 I had started paying for one and mom and daddy decided they'd give me $40 for my birthday present to finish paying it off and get it out and I got it and took a few lessons for about a year from a guy that lives in uh, lives in Birmingham Alabama now Bob Tedrow who had a store here in Morganton called the Music Brothers Okay. And uh, still keep in touch with Bob. He's a great guy. He's known now for building concertinas around the world. Oh, really? But, uh, we, uh, I, I messed with the banjo from 80 until about 90. I went through uh, just basically one band through that time. Me and my wife's cousin and some friends had a little gospel band that was called Irish Creek. And we uh, played around in churches here and mostly here uh, a few a few. Ex- trips over into East Tennessee and around and and uh, but we also started a show here in a little old gospel station in town called Gospel Grass. It was all bluegrass gospel stuff. Me and my wife's cousin Ronnie did that, Ronnie LaFevers. But uh, that expanded until Ronnie decided he his job changed and he moved away and we didn't keep a band together so I ended up by not by design but sort of by default. It was always interesting to me. Uh, of playing an upright bass. I borrowed a bass from my buddy that was I was in the band with, Andrew Coleman, and played it for about a year. Uh, and then I finally bought it from him, you know. And he had an electric bass. He had a couple little opportunities to play with some other gospel groups, but he's playing electric bass with them. So that got me started in, in 90 on playing the upright bass and, and played in uh, a couple more gospel bands, uh, one bunch from up around Bakersfield, North Carolina, called the Narrowway Quartet. And then uh, also played, uh, started playing in early 92 with some folks here at home. Uh, had a group called Damascus Road. Oh, yeah. Gospel. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And uh, so we made several recordings. I, I'm trying to remember now how many we did make. It's maybe five, six, or seven, something like that, no more than that. And, uh, and, and got introduced. That would be right.
Oh, yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and he asked if we would be interested in helping to host the show. So that started up in January, February of 90, somewhere along through there. Prior to me starting to play bass, I was still playing banjo. You're still a banjo time. player. Yeah. And uh, met Russ, and me and him actually were the ones that was able to get started doing going across the mountain at WNCW. That's too cool. At that time, it started out, uh, first hour and a half was bluegrass was hosted by Russ about three weekends out of the month, and I do one, because Russ lived closer by. He's right. in Green Creek. And uh, and then the second hour and a half of the show, the whole show was called Going Across the Mountain, was dedicated to old-time music, and there was a couple of guys, I want to think they were out of the Black Mountain area, don't remember their names that would come in, and they did like me and Russ, they'd just trade off hosting it. Right. And, and, uh, and then as time went on, by 1992, that was the last time that I went down and did a show was probably in May or so of that year. It had transferred into three hours yeah. of bluegrass. And then they had started the This Old Porch show, which was the old time stuff. Right, yeah. And they had separated the two shows by that time. And I went in there and, and queued up records. We're still using LPs and a few CDs at that time, not many, but mostly LPs. And uh, sitting there queuing up songs and back talking what I'd played and, and doing them station announcements and testing the, checking the, the meters and stuff, on the transmitter right. signal strength and all that stuff in between. It was, uh, when I did that one three-hour show, I come home and I had to lay down and take me a big <laughs> nap. It, it wasn't a physical thing, but it was it's a mental brain strain on me, you know, to keeping everything going. And, and you know, and you, and you wanted to be able to hit the mark at the end and, and right. have you have your song timed out and maybe have a thing or something to say when you just handed it off to the next person and be on time for everything and not have any dead space and everything else. But it was uh, that was a, a, a fun time. Have you have you been there I'm lately? Thankful, sir. Have you been there lately? See how much it's changed. <laughs> I haven't been down there since Dennis Jones lived. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you might understand why you I might do. not. I'm not going to get into those politics. Yep, I do. I understand. But uh, even even though I didn't agree with the way those things were handled, uh, it's still the best radio station around. Without a doubt, I'll give it. I'll give it that because I do know this, and I'll tell you this little insight that you might not know. Uh, when Sirius XM and uh, what was the other side of the satellite stuff? That oh, was yeah. There, but, oh, I can't remember now. Well, anyway, it's all serious now. Right, it, it, it is. Factions back then, back when it started up. They came and they wanted to start carrying WNCW on their, on as one of their right. channels. And I do know this for a fact. And they said, well, they said, you know, and the station talked to them said, well, maybe we'll be interested in doing it and, and actually had some discussion about it and they said well here's what we'll want to do if y'all come in we'll want to do this and we'll want to do that and, and they was wanting to start telling them how to change up the format and right. change things that they were going to do and that's when the folks at WNCW told them said, we're not interested well I think all. that was a good choice really that was a good move because there's not very many good radio stations no. left in this in, in this as far as terrestrial radio stations I agree. you know and I don't participate in it. I don't 
but I, uh, what I do, I've got me an app on my phone called TuneIn Radio. Sure. And if I want to listen to NCW and travel from here to Raleigh or right. here to Wilmington, I can get on that big road, and as long as I'm getting good signal strength, I can listen to them through that TuneIn Radio app and Bluetooth it to my vehicle speakers oh, and, yeah. and go right on. But after that, I, I was getting involved in playing music a little more. Uh, uh, didn't really have the time. I had small kids at home right. that I needed to be part of their lives. And, but I, I've always maintained a, a presence in playing music and played with the uh, Damascus Road acoustic thing. That started up in June of 92 and went until, uh, I think, early 2001 was the last time we played together. Uh, might have been, it, it might lasted nine, maybe almost ten years. And we put it to bed because uh, certain members had, you know, had kids that were starting sure. off to college, and, and, and life changes. You know, it does. You, it does. You have to roll with the flow. So uh, there was a lot of uh, songwriting uh, of mine that got used in those things, and and we're right. going to we're going to we're starting to incorporate some of that stuff into what we're doing with the Jacktown Ramp. Yeah, I was too. wondering if y'all did original stuff at all. We're starting to, yeah, Gabriel's got a tune or two that he's done, and uh, uh, Brett actually has brought a, uh, a banjo tune that wasn't written by him, but it's a, it's a tune that was written by somebody that he's acquainted with. Right. Uh, that's a, a good instrumental tune, that's, and it's unique. It's different from anything else. But, you know, all of that went along until uh, along about early 2000, I want to say, early 2001, early 2002. I think it made almost a 10-year run with Damascus Road. And uh, we got to where we was at going out into Virginia and Tennessee and edge of Kentucky and South Carolina and, and, and places traveling and moving, you know, as just a regional band. Right, yeah, oh, yeah. Self-produced music stuff, but we, we gained quite a bit of following. And yeah, you did. And so strange, yeah. uh, we, we got to play, I think, that last in 2001, I believe, I believe it was 2001, we went as that group and played, no, no, it was 2000, we went and played at the IBMA in Louisville, Kentucky, and got to do a couple of showcases up there. Well, we played in the California Bluegrass Association, had a suite, and they, uh, we, we got a, arrangements with them to be able to do a 30-minute showcase in their suite. When we got there, we were surprised this room was absolutely mortifiably packed. <laughs> and we didn't understand what the deal was. Well, we come to find out after we got done playing that there was a gospel group in California called Damascus Road. Oh. And, and, a, and a Ramsey guy and his son, who my son Aaron was playing with us at the time, a Ramsey guy and his son played in that group out there. So they thought that somehow or another they had gathered everybody from out there to get them to come back and do this. And they did gospel music. That's and, a great you know, story. So fronts, it, was, it was so strange, but... But uh, but we did get a good reception, and, and actually they, they, they offered us to, some slots to go out there and play festivals out there, but there wasn't enough money in it to cover oh, travel yeah. and, 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 and people leaving their jobs and going out there for right. four or five days with the time change, playing a festival and getting back home. It, it's, it's, it was just not worth it, and we, we didn't depend upon music for our living. Right. We depended on our jobs for our living, and right. music was anything that come out of it was supplemental to right. that. So, and then we started doing the Limbo Ridge Band stuff, you know, mm -hmm. after that, uh, that was put to bed. And uh, we uh, we did that and put out a couple of records, uh, one that we 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was called A Road to Anywhere. And then we did another one called Hope, Hopes and Dreams. Uh, and we recorded that one here at home with my son engineering and, and uh, doing everything with it, which he's gone on to sort of make a name for himself with it and is highly respected for what he's able to do in that regard for the folks up at Mountain Fever Records. Oh, yeah. About anything that's come out of there in the last three, four, five years, Aaron has probably engineered it, mixed it, and possibly mastered it. And uh, so that all got started up from my cobweb-laden basement down here where <laughs> there was so much junk that uh, there was not a lot of natural reverb and the room was good and dead and it made a good place to record stuff. That's good. But, uh, we, uh, and that got put to bed in about June of, 2000, of 2008. Uh, prior to that, I got to uh, start working with Gary Linhart along with the Linville Ridge Band. Right. And uh, helping to produce the Red, White, and Bluegrass Festival. Oh, which yeah. Started up here in Oregon. Sure. And, uh, it was all a freebie deal up through 2008 that, the, that was put on through this Morganton Rec Department. And uh, Gary, Gary's goal in that, he was so respectful of the musicians, he didn't want to try to negotiate them down so much on their prices right. because he knew they were winging it from weekend to weekend right. trying to make a living, you mm-hmm. know? And, and he didn't want to really try to infringe upon the amount of money that they could right. take home, you know, and clear. So he was he was pretty generous with his ability to be able to pay a, a good bands. And he had a lot of good bands there. He did have a lot of good event. ones. Then they do. They still have good ones. Then they started the ticketed event in 2009. Right. And, uh, and then it went on through this past year. They had modified it. They were trying to expand it. I, I help. I run the stage all them years and run everybody on and off and kept them on schedule and would get them back on schedule when we'd have a rain delay or something and and kind of crunch things down and run the stage. And I helped him do some of the booking and stuff. And uh, I maintained the website for it for a long time until the city took it over, which I was kind of happy for that myself. Yeah, but take a load it off. Was, uh, it was a labor of love for me. I told him, I said, I just appreciate you letting me have enough confidence in me to let me help you to put this thing on. And it ended up being, the 2009 event ended up being nominated for the event of the year at the IBMA, which was celebrated in 10. It was right. for the year before. Right. But And it didn't win, but at the same time, uh, it opened a lot of people's eyes. Some festivals kind of started changing because of some of the ways that we did things. We did bands doing one longer set rather than two 45-minute sets right. and having some downtime in between bands, which allowed us to recover when we had to stop because of weather. We would have, we, we had 20 to 30 minutes in between bands each time. We'd get a good sound check, you know. Bands would sound good on stage. Yeah, they'd always and, sound and good. And we'd then. have that extra time to make up the difference when we were trying to crunch people back together if we got delayed by weather. And a lot of times by the time the 9.30 act, which was the final act, come on stage, we'd be back on schedule, usually sometimes with that. That's great. But, uh, so it was, that was a fun time of life. I, I've dabbled in songwriting and, and stuff, and I've had songs recorded by Kenny and Amanda Smith and mm. Randy Coors and Amanda Cook. And, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Shannon Slaughter just recorded one. And 
so that's made me tens of dollars right there. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, my <laughs> my last royalty check actually were decent checks, you know. What's your last royalty check been? Mine's like thirteen cent. Yeah, they ain't, they ain't much. I, I I did get one. Becky Buller has been a friend for yeah. years and years. I met Becky when she was playing with the group Appalachian Trail shortly right. after she had just went through the East Tennessee State uh, bluegrass program sure. uh, back in the nineties. And uh, Becky Becky has handled publishing on a bunch of the songs that I've done. I think she sent me a check for five dollars and seventy some cent here about I don't know. Yeah, that's about right. About I know Becky There's a threw a little bit of stuff every once in a while, but it ain't much, you know. If I know you Becky threw on satellite uh, radio, you can right. make a little money yeah. sometimes. Sometimes, very little. Right. Not like the old days. Right. Yeah, right. I know. Be- exactly. I know Becky from uh, Darren and Brooke Aldridge. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, yeah I've known Darren and Brooke. I, I, we got to play and sing with Brooke before Darren did. <laughs> That's she cool. And sung with us up at Lee's McCray College one night with the Linville Ridge Band. In fact, I just did, oh yeah, we're on the air, but I just did, um, okay, we'll skip that. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, Mike, that's a great story, man. Yours is, I mean, this is a good story. Well, thank you. It's, um, I do appreciate you coming on and doing this. Um, uh, well, I've told people, I've got to dabble in different facets of the bluegrass world with regard to radio and songwriting and band and festival production and everything else my biggest thing that I've always tried to do was be an encourager uh, to folks that was brave enough to dabble in it themselves especially youngins right uh, yeah you know, tell, and, tell me uh, tell me about what you have going on with that these days since you were talking about youngins oh well for the last five years I've also been uh, teaching bass up here Morganton Rec Department has a JAMS program. JAMS stands for Young, uh, oh, I meant Junior Appalachian Musicians, and uh, was started by Helen White, the uh, girlfriend of of uh, Wayne Henderson, the great guitar builder right. up in Virginia. It was started up there. There's lots of these programs around here in Virginia, in Tennessee, North Carolina, and South Carolina, and. Uh, I don't know if any's got up in Kentucky yet or not, but uh, it's teaching kids. uh, Helen and and Wayne's thing comes more from an old-time background, but when we started the program in Morganton, since we were so close to Cleveland County and and the Scruggs area of five-string banjo uh, style, uh, Gary wanted it to be a more bluegrass-oriented thing. So we have people that teach five-string banjo and fiddle and mandolin and guitar and I get to teach the upright bass that's super uh, we uh I've got about six students right now I've got one kid that's been with me from the get-go he's about 13 now he was 
eight, getting ready to turn nine when he came in in the fall of the first year. And he is, he's going to make a great bass player. He is a good bass player now. I can, I teach him to read charts and I teach him scales and, and, uh, he can, in a heartbeat, cut you a two octave F scale. Wow. Without, without blinking an eye. I'm impressed. He's, he's also, uh, now that he's in middle school, the middle school where he attended knew that he was coming in and, and had had a couple of years playing bass and they went and purchased an upright bass and, uh, for that thing and he's playing along with the tuba so he can read music as well that's fabulous uh, play along with the, the, the band stuff at school right. which that, my son did that my daughter did that as they were going through school uh, when they were uh, making their way through junior high and high school my daughter thought she was going to go on and, and, and teach music uh, theory uh, not music theory but be a music therapist right. in Appalachian mm-hmm. originally with the intentions of doing that but then she kind of got bored with learning music theory she wanted music to be fun she understands it to a great level she just don't know how she understands it I understand she that she got bored with it and turned it into a regular teaching degree and she right. taught school for several years and she stays home with the grandbabies now teaching them and homeschooling them but uh, music's been around at our house a long time and I, I've, I'm just thankful for the opportunities that I've had to be able to participate in it and the many great friends that I've been able to make and I feel not disheartened, but I feel for all of these musicians right now who, yeah. who have kept a flexible schedule in their lives to be able to play music in a band or record music or be a studio musician or or put on shows. You know, there's there, there's so many more people more than just the musicians. There's the promoters. There are and the and and the and it takes and a, a community staff that's, that's that's out of out of work right now and oh, but yeah. i'm gonna tell you they're they're all are a resilient crowd and I, they I, are i pray they hang tough and get there and when we can get to where we can get back together and have live music and have some of these events oh it's gonna be a time well I, I agree well i've been helping uh, uh musicians here just because part of the one of the things I know is about live streaming and I've been helping bands during this time uh, use different platforms, different ways to live stream stream and maybe make a little bit of money uh, and get to play. But I'm like you once it, once this is over, it's going to tear loose. Me and and Gabriel are putting, getting some equipment and things now that's going to help us to be able to do some more. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, here within the next, next few weeks, maybe we'll be able to, and you know, get back together and do some more stuff like I, that. At least keep a keep a, exactly. a thing going, you know, and keep keep folks aware of what you're interested in and what you're doing. You know, well, you know I, I think this may be, I think the live streaming part will become a part of the industry from now on. I think that um, you'll see more of it since a lot of people have gotten comfortable with it at, at, during this time. Um, I could see that becoming a permanent part of the music business. Um, I, I, I knew a guy and still know him I haven't talked to him now in a couple of years but he had the idea he was a very fortunate individual and had, had money I'm not going to mention his name but he me and him talked about this back in 11 about possibly he was talking about setting up a studio he was very blessed with his money and he was talking about he was enraptured with the people that 
sure. music. And he was wanting to set up and and do a thing to where he could come in and interview a band and, and, and do things. Sort of, you see some TV things that's on TV now, like on RFD right. TV, that's 30-minute shows, and like Ronnie Reno had his show for the longest time, and Marty Stewart's show, yeah. and things like that. But he was wanting to do this and set up the whole thing, dedicated basically to acoustic music, and right. just to have it go on, on a revolving basis. Yeah. And, and he had the foresight, even back in those days, of talking about letting people buy a subscription to come to do this, and basically sort of have an ongoing year-round festival on TV. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea. And he, uh, you know, I haven't talked to him. I'm going to go back and ask him about that. It would be a good time to revisit (laughs) that, no doubt. It would be a good time to revisit that. He was was just enamored by the music and and basically came to understanding the the bluegrass world by uh, offering up to give away some stuff that he had grown in his garden on a Facebook post. And uh, and Shelly Burleson, who was Jason Burleson's wife at the time, yeah. said, well, I'd like to have some of that, whatever it was. I don't know if it was squash or whatever, but he said, he said, well, he said, well give me an address. He said, I'll ship it to you. <laughs> that's, that's how benevolent this dude was. And he said, she told him, she said, well, I'm just going to send my husband over there to pick it up if that'll be all right. I said, we ain't that far away. So Jason went over and picked up the stuff from him. And... Uh, and he gave he gave this individual a, a few Blue Highway CDs. Oh yeah. And he had never heard it before, but fell completely in love with it. That's super. Uh, this 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 guy went on to become a board member at the IBMA at one point. Uh-huh. He resigned his post a few years later, but he was a very very good guy for the thing and hosted concerts and things and super nice guy. Uh, I need to go visit him and talk to him. You might need to at this time. Well, Mike, I appreciate you coming to the telephone and doing this. Thank you, Sandy, for letting me come and be a part of this big big sound small town program. And uh, I hope uh, maybe some of the folks that's listening, if they hadn't got to catch the Big Jack Town Ramblers, will sneak out. And uh, you can't never tell. I'm telling you, Gabe was a talented dude with his magic. I hear you. I need to see that. He can he can remove people's undergarments on stage while they're standing there in front of a crowd. Oh, that's so. <laughs> great. Yeah, I'll have to we'll have to promote that pretty hard. Yep. I'm telling you, it's a visual feast. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your time and thank you for including us. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you. Ophelia, please come back.